Welcome to Monday. I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent, the dude. What's up, man? Good Monday afternoon. It's a beautiful day here in Freight Alley. You catch the bronze kneecap? Justin Tucker (laughs) kicked that uh, 66-yard field goal yesterday. Uh, How long was that? 66 yards, bro. No, but in miles. Oh, uh, .0375. Not bad. Wait a minute. Let me do the math in my head. Yeah, .0375 miles. Yeah, he broke some long-standing records. I mean, I think they hit like 63 yards a number of times. They got up to 64. Um, He nails it out of there for 69 yards. Amazing. Going to be hard to break that one. Don't know what it was worth in a fantasy. No, he he had 66. 69. 69 was Abilene Christian's Ovi Johansson. Yeah. Yes. Yes, How can you forget? That's the real golden (laughs) leg. That's the gold knee. That's the real golden thing. Wow. Well, the we need someone to kick these containers out of the ports over here. Now, we showed you this video last week. We'll take another look at it. And this is the line that you're seeing over in the Port of L.A. And all of these trucks you see at Bobtail, they're waiting for a chassis so they can pull all those containers that you see yeah. stacked up over there. And I've been getting more and more of these videos from some of our partners over there at the ports, yeah. right? And yeah. I've, I've been talking to a gentleman who works on the ground there. And... Um, he showed me another video of some truckers who were resorting to something else. Let's uh, let's roll this one here. You're going to see a pickup truck that's over in the port, and he's got a rope, go. and he's got a pickup truck, and he's trying to hot shot this container right at Where's the port. Where's he going to go with that? That's I don't know. Yeah, he, he gonna, says that's one way to move a container. I don't think he's going to get that across the bridge. That's that's from my buddy Gio Mars, who (laughs) works over at the port. Go check him out, Gio Mars, on Instagram. But as I was talking to him, I'm like, you're seeing this every day, right? We talk about 24-7 port operations. What can help this sort of critical bottleneck? I mean, you see all the ships out there, but once you get these containers, you don't get the chassis, you can't get rid of them. Well, he said the number one thing you could change right now, the easiest thing you could change right now, is avoiding the one-hour shift change that occurs. So I don't know if you all know this, but... Over in the port of Los Angeles, there's one hour every day where the entire shift changes. They go to lunch and they change the entire thing, shuts down in the middle of the day for an hour. It just Michael shuts Vincent. down for an hour. It just shuts down. And then they don't operate 24 7 anyways, right? Then they don't open. Tw- well, they're starting to do that. They're I don't think to. LA's They're trying to coordinate sure. all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, sure, yeah. but here's something you can do during the day beyond those 24-7 hours to get some of these containers flowing. Well, sure, and that hour shutdown, I'm sure, is not just an hour shutdown. I'm sure there's preparation before the shutdown and then re-preparation after the shutdown. Probably Absolutely. more like an hour and a half to two hours. Well, guys, we got a huge show today for you. Andrew Smith, co-founder and CEO of Outriders, is going to join us. And he's building something that could help with maybe some of this congestion. He's got these autonomous port and yard trucks. They're testing at their own oh, facility yeah. that's modeled after a Fortune 500 company, um, especially if you work in LTL. You know, we're, we're experienced in that space where you're moving containers back and forth all the time. Now, that won't help yeah. with the ports, but that will help with some of this yard and LTL congestion. But these things are fantastic. He's going to tell us all about it. We have uh, Steve McIsaac. He's going to come on. He's from Nolan Transport. Hurricane season is brewing. He's going to tell us about the logistics behind that and what goes into it. Rachel Heaps is here. Speaking of hurricanes, she's working with Saya to stuff a truck to help uh, victims of Hurricane Ida. She'll get us up to speed. Brian Runnels, some concerts are back in full force. He's over in Vegas at TCA. Brian Runnels from Alliance. He'll give us a report from the floor. I've seen a couple pictures, and, um, you know, it looks uh, it looks pretty good, and it reminds me of most truck conferences because the carpet they had laid out was, uh, you know, 
<laughs> like, they take out the good carpet and put in that p- carpet that for they the do? truck. Yeah. Do they give us an especially ugly carpet for trucking <laughs> yes, shows? They do. They have it there just for them. <laughs> it's uncanny. I guess it's because all the partying people do. In case you like yeah. throw up on the floor, uh, no one will notice. Beer stains and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And we also, in studio, who's going to drop by is Morgan McDermott. She's our recruiting coordinator at Steam Logistics and just got off the plane from the Virgin Islands. So, big episode for you. Stay tuned. We're going to get into some news. But before we get there, we got to tip the band. So, autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential win fall if you're ready to seize it start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today contact locomation at tell them dude hey go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions immediately after this show headlines What do we got going on? Well, you saw what happened on the floor over there in Los Angeles. You've seen all the container maps online. I I mean, I've never seen container maps go viral. And if that tells you something about this (laughs) environment, you're having like marine traffic. People are like actually like normal people are looking at marine traffic maps, Michael Vincent. Yeah. Well, container ships, it's not just L.A. anymore. Container ships are piling up at Anchorage off China's ports. New York, New Jersey has about 24 container ships and tankers sitting over there. Tankers, the longer those get delayed, we need that heating oil up in the Northeast, Michael Vincent. So yes, that's, we do. that's a situation coming. to monitor. And unlike L.A. or Savannah, Savannah also backed up right now, Michael Vincent. A lot of that tanker freight's coming through New York, New Jersey. So it's not just about not being able to get goods anymore. And now we're talking about people being able to you know, stay and remain healthy and safe within their homes. Yeah, the heat their homes in the Northeast. You've got to yeah. have that stuff, man. It gets cold. Let's take a look at some of these maps right now. So you've all seen Los Angeles, but in case you haven't, here it is right now. And you're looking at, uh, I believe it's look just under, just shy of 70 ships. And the one good news mm. is our, our over-under, it kept getting broken, Michael Vincent. It we did. were at like 64.5 and, and 74.5 last week. We hit 72, but we never went over that 74.5. Let's keep it going south. Let's keep that the top bar. Maybe we'll keep 70. Like, that'll be our Justin Tucker kick is 72. Let's keep it there. We don't need to break that every day and every week. <laughs> That's right. Now, look That's at New right. York, New Jersey, though, and you're going to see these container, these, these tankers that I'm talking about. And the, the big difference between this map and the last one you looked at, right, is the commingling of both of those. Now, there's a different part of the port over there that receives the tankers. But as you can see, there's tankers out there at anchor out in the bay, right. almost just as many as container ships. Right, right. Now, let's look at Savannah. Now, if you're looking at the Savannah chart, you're going to see another bunch of ships just sitting clustered out there waiting to get into that port. Yeah, 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 yeah. You certainly do. It's backing up everywhere. It's backing up everywhere. Do we know if those cont- those tanker ships are – is that is that a backup, too, uh, um, for those as well? Do we know if that's a backup with that many – That is – in New York, yes, it is. In New, York, New Jersey, that's okay. a backup. They have – those are at So it's not normal well. for that stuff to be out it's there. It's not like as normal, no. Now, no, I, asked gotcha. Michael, I, I asked John Kingston, who's actually at that TC event, if there is any impacts we're seeing yet on the heating oil, because yeah. I don't want you guys to, like, freak out if nothing is, is yeah, happening right, yet. Yeah, right, right, right. And he said there's nothing in the data yet, but there would be nothing in the data yet because this congestion – is just starting. So that's why we're saying mm. moderate, keep an eye on it. It's going on. Here's another thing we're keeping an eye on. It's Greg Miller. He's our reporter over here, covers a lot of ocean freight. And he's talking about, sure. you know, we talk about that, that 70 container ships in Los Angeles, but there's more than, what is that? More than double that, right? 154 yeah. as of Friday waiting to load and export cargo out of Shanghai and Ningbo. So we're getting crushed at origin and that destination. Yeah, sure. And you're looking at a map here. That is obviously not our map. That is over there in China. And the number of container ships anchored off of Shanghai and Ningbo has surged over the recent weeks, right? So it's up to, there's 242 container ships waiting for berths countrywide in China, right? 242 that are. Oh, yeah. So it's there. just 154 at Shanghai and Ningbo. When you talk about the entire country, you got 242. It's 242. So, and these are major, major ports in, in the world, quite obviously very important to uh, the United States and the trade that's going on there. 
doesn't matter what it's from. If it's typhoon, uh, what was it, Chanthu, I guess, yes. uh, or COVID, or, you know, conge- the rise in congestion in China is getting concerning, my friend. Or just the general nature of the Trans-Pacific trade that has been all yeah. bottled up. Yeah. You know, it all starts in origin with shutdowns. EECs, uh, he told American Shipper, the founder of EEC, who shared a lot of this data with us, he said the devil is in the details and these whiplash effects. Mm-hmm. What you'd rather have is more stability, not these swings. And I think what everybody fears is that the swings will become even more volatile. When the system is already this stretch, all these unexpected events can be a casual factor in congestion. And I'll tell you something, and when that pendulum goes the other way too, and if we've expanded all this equipment and all this warehouse space, yeah. that is going to be a massive crack on the economy too. Well, that's something that you and I have started discussing over the weeks, and I think more and more people start talking about that is, is the overreaction to this. You can't steer like you're steering. I mean, you got to steer carefully when you're steering a ship, uh, pun intended here. <laughs> sure, uh, the ships are being drawn from other trades as well, though, from the north-south trade lanes, et cetera, are being moved over as extra loaders, and some of those extra loaders were brought up as one-offs, but they're doing multiple moves that are yeah. going on there, right? And so you're getting this uh, this hybrid of loaders and scheduled service and ship operators. They can put as many ships as they want to out there into the Trans-Pacific to chase the record spot rates that are out there, but they're leaving the other trades short, and ultimately, this should really self-correct itself. As EEC says, it becomes something that balances itself out, noting that if ships are removed from other trades, rates in those trades should then go up to try and attract that back and kind of balance that back out. I would think in normal times, but my only counter-argument with that would be is that it's still demand that's driving it over here, regardless of the sky-high nosebleed rates that people are seeing. So you got to wait. Yeah. You've got to wait for that demand to seed over here before those rates on like an Africa lane is ever going to catch up to the Transpac lanes. Yeah, exactly. I think it comes down to how fastly can you turn that boat and get another good rate, right? Well, it's brutal. And now it's twice as long. It's twice as long than it's been. The turn times and their latest advisory, too, is if you're ordering goods right now, you need to add six to eight weeks to that lead time. Mm. But when the person who said that, they said a week ago, and now you're seeing this extended congestion right here. So it's just going to get worse, man. It's going to get worse before it gets better, apparently. It got worse for for trucking lender Instapay. They filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy Mm, protection. It does look like they're working some things out. It does look like they have um, a a bridge loan to be able to take care of some of this stuff in the meantime before they go into a worse version of bankruptcy. We'll see if that's taken care of. That story is on FreightWaves.com. And one thing I really wanted to highlight quickly, though, okay. was one of my favorite truck drivers, Ingrid oh, Brown. Yeah. She's a huge advocate, pushes very hard to get women into trucking and, and talks about how this is a great industry for them. She just Let's look, take a look at this video. She just picked up this new truck over here. It's purple. And I really love the detail she put in. And I'll tell you this one. You see that stuffed animal there? That yeah, stuffed rhino. I asked her how it got its name. And she said uh, it's, it's white after the black and white um, deep purple Oh, really? Yes, which oh, I thought okay. would Very resonate cool. with you, Michael Vincent. Yes, it does. I love it. Your basement days. <laughs> but this <laughs> is a beautiful show, thing. Man. So Ingrid Brown, she's one of those people, too. She can't get out of it. She, she was going to retire. Last time I had on Freightways Insider, she's like, yeah, I'm a flat foot. I'm taking a desk job now. Maybe I was going to do some media. And the next thing I know, I see her. She's got this beautiful truck purple here. gorgeous. And when I tell you the details, like not only she got the purple going on on that Pete all over the place, but even her reefer unit is that purple as well. Oh, very, 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 very cool. So where's she driving that thing, man? Where's she heading? Her next, her very next stop is going to be, what did she tell me here? She said her very next stop is Mount Airy, North Carolina for a small truck show that benefits the Children's Hospital and also happens to be her cancer center. So her first drive will be a really important one and she's hitting the road on a mission.
Awesome. Awesome, awesome stuff. Good luck to you and Godspeed, Ingrid. Let's get to Steve, Steve McIsaac. He's the SVP of brokerage sales over at Nolan Transport. And he looks like he might be a, you know, he might be a Steve Eiserman he fan. He could be a Red I, Wings fan. I'm not sure. I used to uh, make uh, Wayne Gretzky's head bleed with them in uh, NHL 94. And <laughs> now he is here to join us to tell us a little bit about what Nolan does during hurricane season. We've already been through Ida and we got more storms on the way. So thanks so much for joining well, us today, Stephen. Thanks for uh, for having me. I, I just want to say real quick, you know, as I'm an Iserman fan, you guys keep mentioning Justin Tucker just to break my heart, put another dagger in there one more time uh, being a Lions <laughs> fan. So that was a, a crazy kick, but, um, you know, nothing crazier than the supply chain going on. Well, it had to be even worse because then later in the day, you're watching the, you know, the great Tom Brady and the Buccaneers play and then. Matt Stafford, he's over there now with the Rams, and he's throwing bombs and uh, and and winning games. It, it not an easy time. Keep, running, keep rubbing it in, Tim. I mean, yeah, it was it's, a rough it's day. Not being a Detroit, you know, fan these days, but yeah. you know, I love living here. So, not to mention, it was a delay a game right before that sixty-six yard kick. <laughs> Well, he's a central, you're a central Michigan Chippewa either, which has been a factory of talent. You've had like Tim Allen, Jeff Daniels, Dick Enberg. Uh, who else did you have there? Animator from uh, the guy who did Pocahontas, uh, an open season, yeah. I am legend. A lot of stuff. And now you are bringing your knowledge to NTG and talking about hurricanes. Let's start off there. When you at yeah. NTG, you guys hear, let's say Ida is coming, right? A storm is brewing. What happens? Um, we try to get on the phone with our ops teams and really get um, teams around the country, kind of mini, mini satellite branches, um, having our, our most talented operations personnel um, around the clock. You keep mentioning 24-7 in the ports. When a hurricane happens, it is 24-7 until that relief effort is done. So we try our best to, to spend resources, fly people in. I know now with COVID, it's, it's a little harder to fly people in, but we definitely you know, we'll get teams together remotely and then uh, be working around the clock. And then on the back end, we're getting our rate confirmations ready. Um, I know in 2017, Craig wrote a pretty good article about um, how to prepare for hurricanes. We take that to heart and try to take care of our truck drivers. I saw a lot of comments below that article um, that were very good. And we try to, you know, put in our rate confirmations, fastest soils that are guaranteed, um, you know, as long as documentation happens and then fuel centers that are 150 miles out you might have an entire region devastated with infrastructure and, you know, they might not be able to get fuel very close to the, to the region. So there's a very key word that you said a number of times there, Stephen, and, it, and it's might. And that's what I want to dig into a little bit on these three phases, right? Is you've got the preparation, the anticipation that's going on. And you've got certain information, so you're staging and you're looking through different things. But then there's the assessment stage in that immediate, and then there's a the relief afterwards. How do those change and how do you have to react during those changes through those three? I mean, they're very reactionary. Right. I mean, we try our best to be data driven. I think we've ramped that up over the last 18 months. So as much as we are reactionary, we are a little proactive. And, you know, even though Sam might not hit landfall, hopefully um, we are in front of that and communicating with customers that are in that certain region. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be in, in front of the data and um, and communicating with our customers. But like you said, you know, things happen very quickly. We might be putting teams together right now that, uh, you know, don't the hurricane might not even hit. So you're going to have a little reactionary period um, that usually lasts around 48 hours where a storm's either going to hit or it's going to, you know, not hit the, the landfall and, and we'll be moving on to other things. What happens after it hits, right? The assessments are done. You see the damage. It's made, it's made landfall. Uh, FEMA loads, things like that are dispersed. Um, how, how, what is your involvement there? 
Um, our involvement is just, again, ramping up our operations teams. You're going to see a very large increase in volumes. Trucks are going to try to get to where the money is, but we've got to be safe about that as well and make sure, you know, safety is at the forefront of all of our, our conversations. But like you said, FEMA, um, some other organizations, it's not just FEMA anymore. We'll be reaching out. Um, thousands of loads go to freight forwarders that'll be reaching out. So you'll just have a lot more activity even after hours than you normally have on a, on a normal freight day. Um, although it hasn't been normal in, in a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. But um, you are seeing a lot of requests come over after hours on the weekends, that kind of thing. And you need to be staffed with humans to be able to handle all of that. So, Stephen, now, before any of this happens, like uh, January, December, whenever uh, it happens to be, you're, 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 you're going through contract negotiations with certain shippers to be an intermediate for them, a brokerage, right? Mm-hmm. And some of those people, mm-hmm. especially those that are heavily affected by hurricanes or disaster relief, they have certain uh, criteria that you have to make and, co- and commitments for volume and capacity, et cetera, prior to you signing that contract with them. Can you talk about that a little bit and what the considerations yeah. you have to take there? Yeah, there's going to be like um, tender acceptance rate. A lot of large shippers will have. Um, you have to be in the mid 90s to high 90s. So if you're not accepting rates um, during a hurricane, or not rates, I'm sorry, you're accepting uh, tenders or or load confirmations, um, then your your comp- your percentage will go down, and you won't be able to work with that shipper anymore. So you just have to keep in mind, you know, throughout the year it might be volatile, especially uh, during a hurricane season, and and just build those into your rates a little bit. Um, Obviously, if you build them into your rates for the full year, you're probably not going to get the freight. But again, going back to that proactive versus reactive, just getting on the phone with customers, getting on the phone with carriers every morning, um, sharing with them some of uh, you know sonar and, and freight waves data that we definitely take advantage of, just to get in front of anything that could be you know happening this week. I think is very important to be a true partner for our customers. And what would your advice be to shippers when they do hear a major storm? I mean, Ida, we we knew a lot about, as you mentioned, there's some you just never know. I remember there was one last year that it was roaring towards Florida. Then it just ended up hanging out over the Bahamas for like five days, Mm -hmm. right? And I remember that all the trucks that were positioned and they send the loads and it gets pulled out of capacity and all those kind of things. And and you're putting all this prep in there. But what should shippers know in advance of a storm and while a storm is ongoing? I think the same thing, right? Uh, Be a true partner. I don't think every shipper has more than a handful of true partners. You're going to have a lot of people accepting freight throughout the year that won't be there during a holiday season or a peak season when rates are going through the roof, but a true partner will be. Um, So that's my my advice to any shippers out there. You're going to get some people um, not accepting the freight during those weeks. And it's important to to hold us to those commitments and make sure we are um, you know, holding ourselves accountable as well. Yeah. So Stephen, there's also that those rate ripples that, that happened during a, during event, right? You've got all the staging and stuff going in to that area specifically afterwards, right? So you've got all these assets going in and dropping off all this relief and then coming back out as business is open, like with Ida, all that volume, and you're trying to find that volume to get back out of there, right? So rates start to drop yeah. incredibly there. How do you manage through that aspect? I mean, same thing you, you manage uh, during a normal project or any increase in freight. You might have to reposition some trucks and pay them a little bit more, uh, knowing that they're going to have to deadhead 200 miles outside of the area to get a good paying load. Um, so you just have to factor all that into your your rates and how you're paying carriers, how you're accepting um, loads from customers. And I think all those things are very important, um, especially, like you said, when a region might not have any outbound freight for a few weeks and then all of a sudden they, they kick up and ramp up again. What's the risk outlook for the rest of the season as, as we move further through the fall here? 
I think we're going to see more frequency. Um, we've had seven already this year. I just don't think they're going to be as strong as some of the years past, but I, I think we're seeing more hurricanes pop up just uh, less in strength. Um, I hope I'm right. And I hope, uh, you know, we don't have any major catastrophic events, um, you know, just for the communities in general. I know it's a, a tough thing to get through. And we've had customers on our end and carriers that live in these areas, and it's just a, a tough time for them to, to get back to normal. Well, for the love of Barry Sanders, we can only hope you're right about this being a, a tame season. In the meantime, people who want to continue the conversation with you about NTG and they have concerns about mm -hmm. hurricane season or anything else you guys do, where should I send them to? Yeah, you can uh, send them to our website, ntgfreight.com. You can get a hold of me on there. Um, I can give you my email address as well. It's just my name uh, with a period in between. And then at ntgfreight.com if you want to send me a line. Um, LinkedIn, I'm also very active on, and you can shoot me a message on there, and I'll try my best to, to respond as soon as possible. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you both, and, and keep doing what you're doing. Right on. Appreciate Thanks, it. Stephen. Go, uh, go Red Wings. Go Red Wings. Do you really mean that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I love Red Wings. Okay. Yeah, big fan. No, I do have an Eisenman jersey. Just, okay. Yeah. Let's find out how uh, the Caribbean was or, or the Virgin Islands or wherever Morgan McDermott was. She's a recruiting coordinator, Steam Logistics, and she's in studio with us right now. And, um, you know, one of your posts, messaging is always an important thing, right? And one of your posts was like, hey, you know what? It's been a pandemic. It's been hard to get away. I saw a great flight on the Caribbean. I'm going to go take it, people. You have vacation time. Go and use it. Tell us a little bit about that trip. It was amazing. Um, so I feel very strongly about work-life balance and using vacation time. I was a nomad for about seven years until I came to work for Steam. So I've been all over the world. I'm sort of a connoisseur of cheap flights. And it was great. We flew in on a Wednesday. We had all day Thursday, all day Friday. We went island hopping. We went beach hopping. We ate all of the food and more. Bought a couple souvenirs and then came back Saturday night. Wait, there's a food shortage there now? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yes. But you know a little bit about, you used to work at the most magical place on earth, right? You used to work at Disney. What goes down there? I sure did. Oh, Disney is an adventure. I worked at Disney for a year in one of their uh, resorts. I was so trained by the end of my time there, I told everyone to have a magical day for about two years after that. Oh, man, I bet you no. did. So you were, you, were a, you were a crew member, or a, no, a cast member. Cast member. A cast, cast member. member. I Sorry. was a cast member. I didn't have a uniform. I had a costume. Yes, that's right. Well, did that's you, right. What did you dress as? <laughs> no, that's, that's what they called um, oh. everyone's uniforms. That's Just the like, terminology. Your, like a server outfit is still called a costume? Yes. Okay. Yes. Ah, yeah. Awesome. So is it true that they painted the entire place every night? I cannot say. Oh. Non-disclosure. Are you not allowed to or you just don't know? <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's not get her in trouble here. Hey, what's good in recruiting? You know, that's been, you've been focused on that. Well, it's kind of interesting because you started as a logistics coordinator, didn't you? And then yes. you transitioned over to the world of recruiting. So you have a little bit of insight into the job that you're pulling a lot of people into. So let's start there. Why the transition from being a coordinator to recruiting? It's just a much better fit for my personality. I'm very outgoing. I'm very people-oriented. I'm very bubbly. I'm always on social media. I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm always posting. I'm always sharing. And so to be in on the recruiting side was a natural fit for me. So I moved over into that aspect in June, and I love it. Steam is growing incredibly fast. It is crazy how many people we're bringing in. We hired, I want to say, 80 or so last month alone. The numbers are incredible. At one point, I was doing 70 interviews a week because we just were hiring so many staff. For a while, it was me and one other recruiter hiring for three offices across the 
That's amazing, Morgan. And I, I know some of the people over there. I know Steve uh, Cox very, very well uh, for a number of years. And the, the atmosphere over there, as I understand, is great. And it is, you know, I, I would imagine it would be with Steve. Is that the magic there? I mean, you guys are hiring like crazy. Everybody else is struggling even to find brokers and so on. Yeah. What, what's the magic? What's the sauce? What's the, is it because you're just that great of a recruiter? Or, or do they have, do they ha- I mean, is it living up to their reputation? Honestly, Steam has something really different. Steam is not your average logistics company. You know, we're not stuffy, we're not very corporate, and we do not micromanage our people. We don't pigeonhole anybody. I mean, the fact that they allowed me to move into recruiting, Steam is very good at fostering talent. And we allow people to design their own recipe for success. So with that and with, I think, our culture and the people who currently work there, we bring in a lot of good talent just with that alone. Now, with 70 interviews, right, in a week, that, that's a lot. I mean, I do, what do we do, about 4, 8, 12, about 12 on this show a yeah. week. We do yeah. in 13, you have now. So yeah. between you and I, we're probably interviewing, uh, you know, 20 at most, 15 yeah, to not, 20 not people. Not 70, for sure. Not 70, and that's hard enough. How do you, and it's only for like 10 minutes at a time, how do you, how do you manage 70 interviews? How do you identify key talent with, with you know, so much, so much congestion of uh, talent coming at you? I'm very old-fashioned. I write everything down. I have an old-school planner that comes with me everywhere. Not only the names of the people, but what they applied for and just brief notes about them. I also was a bartender for years and years and years while I traveled, and so I've got a very good eye for names and faces. I used to have regulars. I would know their orders. I would know their kids' names. I'd have their beers poured before they even sat down at their table. It's the same concept for recruiting. You have to have that personal touch. You have to remember people. You have to be able to distinguish, okay, this person interviewed a week ago, but this is their story, this is where they're coming from, and this is their personality and who they're going to fit with as a manager. So writing things down for me really helps. Well, that's a big one. Like, I was interviewing the the Lettos, right? And and I was asking, like, how do you go about recruiting talent? They go, one of the ways we make it easier, and I'm probably, I might be giving a steam secret away. I might be giving a secret away to the industry now. Uh-oh. But they said that people who are raw, like raw talent that haven't done it, one thing they like to look for for a background is an indicator is if they have server experience. Because it's not, being a logistics coordinator and doing a server is the same thing. People are always mad if things are late. Like if your food is late yeah. to the table, they're mad. If you misinterpret what they said, they're mad. If they think you misinterpreted what they said, they're mad. I mean, you know, there's so many ways to anger a guest, but there's also a lot of ways to appease them too. And you're managing multiple tables and you're managing your own little logistics ecosystem system of uh, the food supply chain. So I, I've got, before you react to that, Morgan, I've got a question I'd like you to, so that makes perfect sense to me, right? So are, are, is it looking for that ability and that experience of doing that or looking for the thick skin that that, that environment builds upon you? What do you think, Morgan? It's both. Honestly, it's both. Finding someone with experience with this market is such a treasure because they understand the lay of the land, so to speak, and they do require less training. But also finding somebody with transferable skills who understands the concept of building your own business and being responsible for your own income because it's a sales position. And servers are the kings and queens of that. They understand more than anyone else what it's like to be responsible for your money and your income. So they do very well once they learn the lingo, the terminology. They do very well in applying what they know and understand about restaurants, the chaos and the money to the logistics field. But it is, it is a mixture of both. It's, it's finding somebody who, you know, both has experience but also has that transferable skill. Now, Morgan, you're Chattanooga based. Steam is Chattanooga based. But I, I'm noticing something here. Now, I'm from the Northeast, so I can tell, like, Northeast. I can tell a New York accent. I can tell different areas of Massachusetts accents apart. I'm 
only been in the South for a couple of years, but you don't sound like you're like like Donnie Gilbert, right? She doesn't she doesn't necessarily sound like she's from Middle Tennessee or, or, or Southern Polk Tennessee. Yeah, you sound a little bit more uh, Florida. So, what do you think of Chattanooga and um, as a destination for people to come work? Oh, I think there is no better place. Actually, before I came here, after I left, I lived in the Caribbean for several years. And when I left to come and find work, I actually took off on this three-month road trip across the U.S. trying to find my next home. And so I just drove around applying for jobs on Indeed and staying in Airbnbs, just checking out different cities. I had all sorts of different places on my list. And Chattanooga wasn't even on the list. <laughs> but I, a job posting here caught my eye. And so I came. I stayed for about three weeks while I was on my trip. I, I hiked. I toured the area. And Chattanooga has everything a person can ask for. It has this amazing, beautiful downtown with a nightlife, but not just bars. It has a cooking school. It has a comedy club. It has all sorts of different things to do. And then it has this beautiful nature side where you can hike all day. You can swim. I mean, you get the best of both worlds here. You don't feel like you're missing out on anything if you live here. And it's very affordable as well. And you're a 17-minute plane ride, and you're connected to the rest of the world through Atlanta Airport down there. So I love it, too. I've been around the United States, and I've been here for 15 years. I'll never leave if I, if I don't get kicked out. It takes you longer <laughs> to walk through the Atlanta Airport to, to through that massive maze yeah. and, and train system they have there than it does to fly from Chattanooga. Yeah, that's exactly right. From Atlanta. So, well, then bef my, my last question to you is you've mentioned being a nomad and moving around. Does Steam have remote options? It does not, but what it does have is offices across the U.S. and an immense ability for growth. You can do things at Steam in a much shorter time than you can do at another company, and the ability to be promoted here and to grow and build something amazing is enough for me to put down roots. So now, they're doing something different there. Now, now Morgan, um, it, just being topical in the news, uh, you, you've talked about this nomad thing, and you know, van life has obviously come up with the, the Gabby Petito thing. Did you ever find yourself in a, um, in, a, in, a, in a hairy situation? Several times, yes. Um, I got mugged in Nepal. I wow. fought my way out of that one, kept all my stuff. Um, he very much underestimated me, which is good. And I got into a terrible situation in Nicaragua, which could have gone well, you very You kicked south. some mugger's ass in Nepal? I did. Wow. Yes, I sure wow. did. <laughs> that's, that's... I'm like, that, yeah, that, little that, is, that is cowbell worthy. I, I hit him first. He, went, he made the mistake of going for my bag first, and I had ample time to swing, clocked him, and kept all my stuff. Sweet. Well, fantastic. Well, <laughs> hey, Morgan, how do people reach out and um, have a magical day by, by talking to you? Um, I'm at morgan.mcdermott at steamlogistics.com, or they can apply on the website. I look at every resume that comes through, or LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. There you go. Very cool. Thank you, Morgan. Thanks for joining us. And, you know, she's right. She was right to switch over from uh, to being recruiting with her personality. I remember when I was logistics coordinator and booking freight, people in Boston, I, like, I was like, hey, your freight slate have a magical day. They would have, like, been like, yeah. you know, F off. <laughs> in, <laughs> your, in your best, can you do that in your best Southie voice? If I start doing that, I might actually swear. And then I'll get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do that. Know what I want to do, though? We have this really cool technology. We talk about all this congestion, what we can do at the yards, how we can help the ports, how we can help LTL, how we can help all these things. In a minute, we're going to talk to a gentleman from Outrider, but let's take a look at what he's doing oh, first. Yeah, Roll do the that. tape. 24 hours a day, zero-emission yard trucks operate autonomously. Twenty-four hours a day. Extraordinary tools. Help people move freight more efficiently. 
multiple vehicles are dispatched with a click of a button, making hazardous repetitive work safer and more sustainable. Bringing to you all the things you need. 24 hours a day. CEO of Outrider is here with us. And those look really cool. And, you know, whenever the topic of autonomous vehicles comes up and so truckers are like afraid of OTR trucks being taken over, we're like, hey, man, look at yards and warehouses and stuff like that way beforehand, because those are the easiest areas to automate. And it's oh, like yeah. it feels like Outrider should have been here 10 years ago. Right, Andrew? <laughs> That's exactly correct. It's uh, and I, I to tell you the truth, I was sitting in a few yards looking at idling diesel trucks and uh, uh, people with tractor feed printers printing out where trailers need to go and congestion and thinking this is a great chance to reinvent an industry. Yeah, no, it's tremendous. When I was looking at it, I was talking to Dune about this saying, man, back in my LTL days, I would have killed for some. We, I mean, we didn't know where any of the trailers were that were out there. We just had areas for inbound and outbound and headloads. And they just drop them someplace. This would have automated the whole thing. It's really, really exciting stuff, Andrew. Very cool. Yeah, take, tell us a little story here, Andrew. Tell us about, so you mentioned, you know, you're, you're in a yard and it kind of gives you the idea you're seeing all these trucks idling. So tell us a little, little bit about that. You're the co-founder of the company. How did you really start putting it together and making this happen? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, it sort of connects to some of your backgrounds as well. So I'm originally from Salem, Massachusetts. I oh. spent a lot of time up in northern New England. And uh, I, uh, then I got really into, uh, in sixth grade, I got into Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and Porsches. And I had a science teacher who told me that Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and Porsches got bad fuel economy. And so I decided to focus on environmental technology, which took me on all sorts of crazy paths. But in the mid-2000s, I started a company called AT Dynamics, which uh, was on the forefront of bringing the trailer aerodynamics technology to market. So basically... The worst shape to pull down a highway at 60 miles an hour was a big rectangular box. Um, turns out if you put these skirts on and these trailer tails on the back, you could uh, save billions of dollars of fuel. So that's how I got into the trucking industry because of a strong passion for a more sustainable supply chain. Uh, after building AT Dynamics, or I built AT Dynamics, I actually moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee to open up a new facility. And right after moving there, the company was acquired. Uh, and uh, so we didn't end up putting the big factory in Chattanooga. But per your last guest, absolutely love the area. Um, and uh, amazing place to build transportation technology companies. But uh, Outrider was the result of having spent a lot of time in these distribution yards uh, and also being asked to be part of some of the early autonomous vehicle companies. And just like you mentioned, uh, there was all this talk about over-the-road uh, autonomy or, or robo-taxis. And here was these, these yards that if we could automate these basic movements of taking trucks or taking trailers that get dropped off by over-the-road trucks, and move them back and forth to loading bays, uh, we could uh, essentially drive tremendous improvements in efficiency, safety, and sustainability into the global supply chain. So that's what we did with the founding of Outrider. Very, very cool stuff, Andrew. Let me ask you this, though. When I'm looking at this, and this may be a wheel of stupid question, but I think it's a relevant one. I think it's the most obvious one that came to my mind is you've got these 53-foot swinging door trailers moving around here, and it's very cool. And I see that it, there's no doubt that is incredibly uh, efficient, and you know exactly where those trailers are going to be because the computer doesn't make a mistake unless yeah. it's told to make a mistake. How do you open those doors before you slam it against the dock? All right. So that's a great question. So uh, basically, uh, what we realized early on is that to automate a yard, you cannot just automate the vehicle. Uh, you have to automate all the other manual tasks that take place within a yard. 
And so our company, uh, we have uh, some of the best autonomous vehicle engineers in the world. Uh, we have some of the best roboticists, and I can talk about these key steps, but we essentially looked at that integrated system and how do we create that seamless system for customers. So uh, on the so specifically on the swing door side, obviously for uh, intermodal rail applications, roll door trailers, this isn't an issue. Um, for com- customers that use swing doors, which is a massive part of the supply chain, uh, we are working closely with partners like Right Height that we announced uh, collaborating with to roll in uh, the, the um, uh, what are called drive-through loading bays, essentially. You have a lot of uh, companies in the refrigerated transportation already working with these. And then we as a company have also taken the initiative on some very low-cost modifications to existing warehouse, as well as some other robotic solutions for the, that piece of the puzzle. Uh, but you just you mentioned something. I'll just, I'll just touch on it. Uh, so opening the swing doors is a key piece of how an automated yard works. I, I also how you connect the airlines of the trailers to release the brakes on the trailers. Mm. So we have the um, most advanced robotic system. You saw just sort of a teaser of it there. But essentially, we have uh, a, a vision-based machine learning system where we have a robotic arm that can see all the different types of glad hands or the airlines that release the parking brakes of the trailers. And after we autonomously hitch to the trailer, we can autonomously connect the airline, release the parking brake and make that trailer move. So you're testing these at a pretty, you're sandboxing these at a pretty impressive facility. I think it's over 200,000 square feet. Tell us a little bit about that and what you're learning as you see them in action. Yeah, so uh, it turns out that fully autonomous yard operations is not a hobby. This is a full-time job. And all these different pieces coming together seamlessly are really, really hard. So with this announcement we recently made about opening a major new test facility for autonomous yard trucks, the, the only one that exists like this in the, in the world, um, as we're on the phone right now, we've got multiple autonomous electric trucks, moving trailers, uh, it's going 16 hours a day. It'll be a 24 hours a day soon um, at this test facility uh, on an ongoing basis. And that's because we need to rehearse and perfect every key piece of, of this system and not just the base system, but all the safety mechanisms on top of that. And then with that, uh, we are working with uh, nine large enterprise customers. They represent over 15% of, of the 50,000 yard trucks that are operating as we're on this call right now. Uh, we've got field deployments uh, moving real real freight today. Um, and anytime we learn something uh, out at these test facilities, we replicate it. I'm sorry, out at these uh, customer facilities, we replicate those at our test facility. So right now um, on your phone, you could uh, go move 40,000 pound trailer with a click of a button and it would uh, effortlessly connect to it, uh, connect the airline, release the brakes, and then within uh, centimeter accuracy, place it perfectly at a loading dock. It's amazing stuff, Andrew. I mean, when you think about just the safety aspect, to take one of those trailers out, a swinging door trailer out, yeah. and replace it, you got a driver getting in and out of that cab six times, yeah. which is the most, that's where they get injured yeah. the most, is, is doing that. So that's huge. But talk about efficiencies. Are you learning about efficiencies as well, just knowing where the trailers are and having that non-human aspect of searching for those numbers? It's got to be huge savings there. And the restaging, too. I mean, yes. if you think 24 hours, I mean, just getting stuff in position to save time when you need it for when people are working on their regular hours. Right, exactly, yes. Yeah, so, so again, it's been really fun uh, building this company just because the huge demand for these systems um, and, and those exact pain points you just talked about. But on the efficiency side of it, uh, first, it's just obviously you don't have a person in that yard truck sitting around waiting for the next move. Instead, those people and, and in all cases, you know, this is not a, a system that's going to cause a direct job loss. All of our customers, as you know, 
are, would love to take someone out of that routine job of going back and forth in a yard and get them out over the road or inside the warehouse or production facility. Um, so there's the, the direct efficiency of not having someone sit in the vehicle. But then secondly, you, you mentioned a, a great one, which is pre-staging. Um, we have perfect, uh, we, we've got these in, in, incredible sensor suites on these vehicles uh, that we have essentially near perfect information uh, about uh, uh, trailer locations in the yard, which means we can make sure the right trailer is in the right place at the right time. It's at the loading dock when it needs to be filled or when it needs to be moved away. We know, we know that and get it moved away quickly. Uh, but not only that, we can pre-stage trailers for over-the-road vehicles so that when over-the-road vehicle comes in, rather than winding their way through a distribution yard looking for the right spot, they drop it off in a drop-off area. They've got a new trailer right there and can get back out on the road that much faster. So huge efficiency there. And on the safety side, uh, we've got proprietary systems that actually have safe communication between the autonomous truck and the distribution worker inside. So our autonomous system is never not looking at a red or green light on the side of a building, but it's getting an actual uh, message from inside saying, yes, this trailer is safe to move. So lots of efficiency throughout the, the, uh, the system. Well, Andrew, we love it. We're going to be keeping an eye on the development and everything and everyone else who wants to as well and who's interested in potentially working with you, where should we send them to? Uh, send them, just send them to info at outrider.ai. Uh, we'll be thrilled to, uh, to engage with anyone on the program and, and uh, yeah, look forward to having this be the new standard in the yard going forward. Thanks, Andrew. And don't be a stranger. Let us know as, as more development comes along and it's, and it's, and it's hitting out primetime and, and going out outside the test facility and into other shippers' yards and other carriers' yards. We're very interested. Excellent. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Thank Excellent you. stuff. Take Thank care. you, Andrew. Hey, now let's take a trip over to Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas to see if uh, Brian Runnels, if we got to bail him out, he's vice president of safety <laughs> over at Reliance Partners. I told him not to call me. And I think he's money. right on the conference floor. Brian, what's, what's going down in Vegas? Well, guys, you know, it, it, this place is going to be hopping here pretty soon. Sure. Um, the, they're doing their general session right now. It gets out in about 15 minutes, and then uh, the exhibit floor opens, and everybody's going to get to come in and, and talk to their vendors and, and talk to some potential clients. And, you know, it's a great, this is a great networking piece back here uh, in the uh, conference hall. So good conference, well attended. Uh, it, it, people are really, really excited to be back out and uh, and seeing each other and and it it's it's a and it's Vegas, yeah. So it's Vegas. Yeah, it is. So what are the hot topics that are going on there, Brian? Man, I tell you what, it, I I don't think there's really any big surprises. But when we got when we got here, it's drivers. How do we get them? Where do we get them? How do we keep them? Um, kind of a, a, a an ongoing issue. And you know, we we did some committee meetings, and you know. There's just so many people focused on no matter where you're coming from, whether it's on the vendor side, the driver side or on the uh, carrier side. That's just a common, common theme. The other one, obviously, is the potential vaccine mandate. Uh, you know, I want to stay away from anything political as much as I can. But, um, you know, that has been a topic of conversation and how people are feeling about it. Are they are they upset about it? Are they? You know, it's going to get tied up in court. Um, you know, so there's been some conversation around that. Been some in information put out there about the infrastructure build. Some good things are going to come from that. Uh, some things that probably the biggest thing that stood out that they're not real happy with. And I think this really goes across about all of the, the associations was the truck parking. The truck parking issue. Um, mm -hmm. That didn't get any funding. 
and that so that's been a, a sore point. I know they're going to. I think there's a representative in Illinois that is going to try to re and put it back in or put some sort of wording back in to get some studies done or something like that to uh, to help out on that aspect. Yeah, you know, you bring up a, a, a number of interesting points, and yes. to wait on the the vaccine mandate, I was just looking at some data that was showing, and this is pre-vaccine mandate, but this is due to this sort of COVID era of high rates that have been sustained for a very long time in trucking, and what that has had the impact of, of sucking a lot of um, existing and new drivers into the owner-operator and smaller fleet market to go and chase those, you know, to go and chase that bag, to go and chase that money for themselves, mm -hmm. and then you look at the trend line of, the vaccine mandate, which if you want to duck it, you can go to those carriers that are 100 and under, which obviously has to have the bigger carriers a little bit skittish because they're already seeing this data of of the challenge of recruiting, especially in a time like this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the when the ATA came out and said it, you know, that the, the mandate is discriminatory, I can see where they're coming from with that. Why did they set the number at 100? You know, what? where did that arbitrary number come from? And you're right. I I was visiting visiting some customers in California last week before I got here, and they were smaller carriers under that hundred size. I wouldn't say that they're excited um, because now there's another problem. They can't get equipment. You know, some of these carriers have either sold off some equipment or they were they've just had trucks on order. That it's possible that you will see, uh, as the TCA has put it, a possible mass exodus out of the large carriers uh, into either the small carrier market or just drivers getting another reason for drivers to get out of the industry altogether. Yeah, uh, Brian, so that, that's an interesting point, though. So when you talk about the smaller carriers and they can't get those trucks, right, is that one of the things that's driving the owner-operators? And do those owner-operators, would they fall under that 100 employees? I don't think they would, would they? No, not a, no, they don't have 100, they no have 100. not at all. That's right. Yeah, it, it, it's total number of... You know, and then you think about office staff. It's not just the drivers. So yeah, no, it's everybody. There, there will be companies to either manage their office staff to a certain size and their driving force to keep it at 98, 97. And, you know, the other interesting thing is if they decide to try to mandate interstate travel, I have no idea how they'd enforce that. I mean, I could see how they could do it on a plane or a train because there's one point of entry, one point of exit. Yeah. Um, but to try to do that in, in trucking, is that going to be burdened on the states at the scale houses to check a, a card or check some sort of um, identification when they come through for an inspection? Or, or how would that look? That would be an utter disaster. Yeah, well, you know, Brian, we're, it's it's almost like living in two different realities. I mean, you can just turn college football on on Saturday and the news preceding it is talking about, you know, COVID this, COVID that, record number of hospitalizations, Delta variant, everything's going back up. Then Penn State comes on. There's 100,000 people there, you <laughs> that's know, exactly right. And there's still some conferences still going on and, and people out. And I think that's one of the reasons it makes this issue so hard to combat because you don't always know how to take it so seriously. But one thing that is very serious that's been brought up to us, and I don't know if it's being talked about there, is not just the, the trucks and the microchip shortage, but things like tire shortage and coupling shortage. Mm. So existing equipment now is under fire as well. And the preservation of assets is becoming that much more important, as is your key thing, safety, because how many carriers are going to extend equipment because they can't get it? And that's when some problems can arise, can it not? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've been following, um, unfortunately, it, it, I've gotten into the habit now of looking every day to see how many ships are in the harbor. Some people yeah. check gas prices. Some people check the weather. I'm checking to see how many ships are there. It's like my fantasy team, right? I'm like, how many are there? How many? Are, how many are in New York? How many yeah, are in Shanghai now? That's exactly it. And you know, one of the one of the things was uh, I have some friends that work for Kenworth, and they were saying that one of those ships had like 600 engines that were destined for the the, the Kenworth plant. The whole engine, not just parts, the whole engine. Um, and you know, this this bog down of the supply chain starting from that point uh, is part of the problem of getting raw materials in for things like tires and, you know, any other parts that, that trucks are needing. And, and yeah, it's all going to be an issue. I One trucking owner told me about the tires that he's had some on order for, I think, three or four weeks waiting to get them. That's unbelievable. So the yeah. solution is an engine to get into a truck to be able to pull the uh, containers away from the port, but it's stuck on a ship because there's no trucks to pull it away from the port. Or you're that guy with the truck <laughs> using the rope to pull the container. Yeah, that video shot the beginning of the, the container. Oh, man. It's yeah, it, unbelievable. Well, hey, Brian, how, non, how late is I? You're not staying out too late at the penny slots with our own John Kingston, who I know is there, are you? I have not run into John yet, but that is on my to-do list. Um <laughs> No, I, I stay pretty much under control. I, there, there's a lot of time spent out here and, um, you know, conference season's in full swing. And boy, I tell you what, you got to pace yourself right now because everybody's cramming these conferences into about a two month period. Yeah. And it's going to it's it's a murderer's row of <laughs> conferences starting that started a few, couple weeks ago. And it's going to end at the end of October. And it's pretty much nonstop. Uh, yeah. Through, through those two months. It's crazy. It's nuts, guys. But it, it's great to see everybody again. Um, when we go back to the mask thing real quick, you know, here it's, if you're in a public area, you got to have a mask on, but some of the private locations you don't, unless you want to. If you've got food or drink in your hand, you don't have to. I mean, there's a lot of... Because those are magically stopping of, from spreading food, drink, and so do cameras. It's like playing tag or something, like freeze tag. If you touch the base, you're fine the second the hand's yeah, off, you're that's frozen. exactly right. It, it's tough. That's and I don't right. mean to, we to, all know to the belittle the situation. Obviously, very bad one. I, I just empathize with everyone who's confused in this yes. situation like we all are because exactly it just right. seems like your reality and perception changes depending on what you're listening to, who you're talking to, and what situation you're in at any given time. And that's tough. And it's yep. going to be tough. Hey, what's your? give us one takeaway before we let you go so far that you've gotten from TCA. You know, I think the one takeaway is there is so much um, – People going in the, in the same direction, you know, when you get here, everybody's a competitor, whether it's a carrier, whether it's insurance or whatever. But you get into situations like this and when you find a common um, a common theme, whether it's how do we find drivers? How do we recognize drivers uh, with the topic came up? What did you do for drivers during um, truck driver appreciation week? And there were some great ideas thrown around from carrier to carrier to carrier to just improve that, try to improve that situation that it seems like it's ever worsening uh, is the driver retention. Um, so I think that's the one takeaway you get from these is this is a time that most people put all their competitive differences aside and try to come together for the betterment of the industry. Hey, amen to that. A little yes, cowbell for that. Check out Reliance Partners and Brian, I know we'll see you again soon. Enjoy the rest of your time at Vegas and, uh, 
you know, keep uh, anything bad happens there, let it stay in Vegas. As yeah, say. I'll be down in your neck of the woods. If I win big, I'll bring you something pretty. Okay, yeah, if you hit those penny slots with Kingston, bring us a, bring us a dime or two. Right Thank on. you, sir. <laughs> Very cool. All right, so, you know, we covered Hurricane a little bit earlier, right? We yes, were talking you did. about Hurricane Idos, the biggest hurricane of the season here in the United States so far. Um, so, a lot of a lot of teams and companies are stepping up. One of those people is Rachel Heap. She's an alligator aficionado, and she's also the national sales manager at Trans Impact. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. How's, it, how's everybody doing? Hey, I like your posters. What is uh, what, what are we looking at behind you? So we've got the Revivalist. Uh, they're a New Orleans-based band. Um, Love the Revivalists. I've listened to them for many years. Um, Sloss Fest, which is in Alabama. This is a really cool festival that was like at an old um, molten metal factory. What do they do? They make precast. And so the actual, it's like industrial downtown Birmingham that's been shut down. And yeah, they put a big festival out. And then got a little bit of a nostalgic college widespread panic uh, (laughs) <laughs> I like it. She's punk rock, man. That's why. That's why yeah. I like her. I, I knew this when she told me the story about the alligator eating people, and I was like, "All right, the, we have to have." She's her also on a rear admiral for the Cajun uh, Navy, I think. The Cajun Navy, yeah. Oh, isn't that right? Yes. How, how does there one uh, be, get into self-proclaimed self self-proclaimed oh. admiral? There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, here's a. Like, we, I think we have a picture of the stuff a truck, and you can speak to it and tell us uh, tell us what's going on. What are you doing with Saya? Yeah, I really like to bring it back to Saya. Saya was it, a little history lesson here. Saya was based in Homa uh, when they started their roots, and I guess it was 1921. And so Saya has a real special place uh, for Homa residents. And we ended up. My, I'd like to give a shout out. Gary Docks has a great carrier relationship with Saya. Through our carrier relationship team, we were able to connect with them, and they offered a free truck. Uh, to be dropped off in North Carolina at the Swansboro Rotary Club. So huge shout out to Swansboro Rotary Club. And this Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 12 to 6, we'll be collecting donations to bring down to the residents and affected uh, victims for hurricane from Hurricane Ida down in Houma, Louisiana. So huge shout out to Saya and Gary Docks for helping us uh, work this out. But really, we're just asking for donations, anything that you can think of, um, mainly mold absorbent. So if you can imagine, we live in a swamp down here. And if you go into your local Lowe's or any kind of home improvement store, you'll find these huge absorbent, um, like five gallon buckets of absorbent. Right. And so bug spray, mold absorbent, diapers, you know, anything that you could think you would need after spending now 30 days without power. So there's still a lot of those areas that are without power um, that are really in desperate need of just, you know, everyday living items. So really looking to collect those Monday, Wednesday and Friday, Friday this week um, at the Swansboro Rotary Club in Swansboro, North Carolina, again on Saturday from eight to 12 and then the following Monday from eight to 12. And we will be making those uh, donations in Louisiana and looking forward to kind of hopefully maybe needing a secondary truck. So very excited to be able to help these folks. Rachel, can people send money and have someone purchase these items as well, or do they have to drop off the physical goods? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll post the email. And if you guys have PayPal, 
I'll put a PayPal um, email in there. I'll also put a Venmo. And those will be personal PayPals and Venmos. But just know that those are people within our organization that are on our Impact One committee. Impact One stands for improvements made by people acting as one. And that's our philanthropy committee. So that's headed by Danielle. Uh, Ubank is her maiden name. So you'll see that PayPal. Danielle.ubank at yahoo.com. And then Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L underscore Grayson at Venmo. So I'll make sure to list those in the show's comments so that if people are interested in giving monetary donations, uh, we'll be taking those monetary donations and buying supplies that I previously said. Wow. Well, and you know, there's one person listening right now who's like, what about Bitcoin? Can I donate Bitcoin? Probably, probably not yet. Right. You can. You can. Totally. I think PayPal. Well, I, I buy Bitcoin through PayPal. Now, I don't know if I can buy any bug spray with Bitcoin, but if there's a will, there's a way. And I'm your girl if you can. So if all you got is Bitcoin, send it my way. I'll trade it out for send cash. Me your Bitcoin. Out. Send me your Bitcoin. Trust me. Send, send me, me your, your Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Well, hey, Rachel, thank, thank, thanks so much for right. coming on and, and promoting this thing for us. What's next for you uh, today? And, and what are you seeing on your desk over at uh, Trans Impact? Man, we've got some great things going. We just uh, went through a brand le- relaunch, as you guys have helped us note back in July. Yeah, what's that? Is that um, what animal is that? Acquired... Is that a gazelle that you had on there? Or is that an antelope? What kind of um, what kind of is that? That type of deer looks like an impala, some, something me. like that. I'm stuffed with fun facts, guys. I'm stuffed with fun facts. So it okay. is a gazelle, ah. and the reason why we've chosen the gazelle is that it is the only animal that can outmaneuver the world's fastest cat, which is the cheetah. So it outmaneuvers the cheetah in its real life habitat. And that's the way we work as an organization is we're agile, we're fast thinking, we're quick to move and we outmaneuver our competitors. So that's, uh, that's the story of the gazelle. Very You're nice. no cheetah. Very terrible. Nice. I'm going to just gong myself. No cheetah. <laughs> All right, Rachel. Uh, Rachel, um, uh, one last time. That Stuff a Truck is over there. It is September 25th through October 4th. You can also reach out to Rachel Heaps on social media. She's uh, usually very friendly, especially if you catch her in the right mood. <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> Rachel. She's always friendly. Rachel, thanks for joining us today. As long as today. the Saints are winning. Wait, yeah, how you know. Oh, <laughs> Wayne <that>? Static? <laughs> Did you just say he's Wayne Static? No, as long as the Saints are winning. Oh, the Saints are winning. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I thought she called you Wayne Static from Static no, X. Oh, man. No. Okay. Oh, who knows? <laughs> Me, I, don't, I don't have the beard. You I don't. You. I know. I was like, man, am I Wayne Static? All right. <laughs> Anyways, Rachel, thank you. Thank you, so, thank you so much for joining us. Take it easy. I do dig me some Static X, though. I'll tell you. All right. That. Well, hey, guess what? So <laughs> we got to round this thing out. But one of those other trucker protests, we yeah. didn't bring much attention to this trucker shutdown because there's been so many of these proposed Patriot shutdowns that people have been talking about. And this was yet another one. And when, you know... Reporters talked to the organizers if they were not drivers like the other ones, and the ones where they have not been drivers, there has been no traction. Nothing has taken place. I reached out to the public information officer in Ohio that I know and asked, have there been any shutdowns in the Ohio area? I know there have been notifications. I know people have reached out to me and have been concerned. That has not happened. Good, good, good. Yeah, glad it hasn't happened. That's ridiculous. I hate when things get hijacked, too. Well, that's the thing. You know, they call it the Patriots shutdown. They, they want these drivers to pull themselves off the road. Well, rates are really good right now. And, um, you know, a lot of drivers are not doing it. And I think there's a lot of ways to work through this stuff without trying to destroy the economy. And I think one of the things, too, is we got to go. So we'll catch you yes, next we time. Do.